So has, has someone ever thanked you for doing something and it, it, it really wasn't you that needed thanks? That, hap- that happened to me this week. Somebody was like, hey, Mitch, thanks for, um, thanks for doing that. It was actually, there, we used the piano in the family room. Um, John Mitchell said, Mitch, thanks for move, moving the piano. And I didn't, do, I didn't touch the piano. <laughs> so I said, thanks, you're welcome, John. Uh, anytime. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you, did you move it back too? I don't know if you did, but uh, maybe that's happened to you, right? Uh, this is a little bit of what came to mind as we were considering where we're at in Judges. Glenn had us work through Judges 4 last week, the, the story of Deborah and Barak, as they deliver the Israelites from Canaan, from their king Jabin, their, their commander Sisera, and there was this interesting exchange between Deborah and Barak, and Deborah calls Barak to go into battle and lead, lead the army of Israel, and Barak says, I'll go if you go. And so, right, the result of that was that Barak would not receive the honor for the victory that the Lord would win for them. And so that, that all comes true. Um, so we move on to Judges chapter 5, which is, is not a, it's not a new story. In fact, it's a song that Deborah and Barak sing. And it gives us some more information about what happened in this, uh, this battle, this, this event with Deborah and Brock. I found myself asking, maybe not who's to thank for what's going on, but whose honor really is this story about? Who's, whose honor is this story about, right? Is it Brock's? Well, no, it's not Brock's because Deborah said it wouldn't be Brock's because of his, uh, his unwillingness to go. Well, what, what about Deborah? Deborah said the honor would go to a woman. Is it, is it Deborah? Well, m- maybe, right? She, um, she's praised in these different passages, but um, there's a different woman involved, right? Jael is, is the honor Jael's. Well, yeah, she's, she's called blessed, but, but there's, there's, more, there's more to it, right? What about Sisera? Is, does he play into this at all? Whose honor is it anyway? I think Judges chapter 5, which is where we'll be this morning, is going to answer this question for us. It's not Barak's. It's not Deborah's. It's not Jael's. It's not Sisera. It's not Jabin, right? The, the honor is the Lord's. So we're going to see this morning that the Lord, the Lord is jealous to show us that the honor belongs to him. It's his battle over his enemies. It's his victory. It's his story. It's his glory. The honor is the Lord's. So if you would, turn to Judges chapter 5 with me if you haven't already. It's on page 176 in our Pew Bibles. I encourage you to, to get a hard copy of the Bible in front of you. Maybe, maybe it's your phone or tablet, but there, there's Bibles around. I, I encourage you to, to open up a Bible. I'm going to put some verses on the screen as we move through. I have some cross-references I'm not going to go all over the place. I, I really want you to have God's word in front of you. We're not going to, we're not going to um, flip all over the place. You might follow me if you like. But if I see the top of your head, I trust that it's you looking at God's word, not taking a nap, not playing Wordle or Angry Birds, right? But you're seeing what I have been seeing this week in God's Word. I think, I think seeing all of chapter 5 right in front of you is going to help you 
see some of the things that I saw God's trying to show us. This is a, a very interesting passage, right? Right from the start, you might look at it in your Bible and, and say, well, it's, it looks a little bit different, right? There's some different indents. The paragraphs aren't exactly the same. It's, it's because it's a song. It's a song that Deborah and Barak sing. And um, it, it's a form of poetry, I, I, I think we could say as well, right? Poetry uses figurative language. It uses metaphors and it uses uh, comparison and contrasting to um, elicit a response from us. It repeats ideas and, and says them differently so that we remember what it's trying to say. So this is poetry. It's a song. It's not like a song that we sing today, right? Not, not like the songs that we sang this morning. I thought about um, getting my guitar and sing, leading us through it, right? Um, I'm not going to do that, though. I don't know how this was arranged, doesn't have two verses and a chorus and a, chorus and a bridge with a repeat, right? Um, but it is a song, and I think songs, no matter when they're written, have this effect on us, right? We, we sing songs, um, and we remember what we sing. Isn't that, is that not true, right? For, for those of you who love music, um, whether you, you feel like you can sing or not, right? I'm sure that you have songs that you love, and um, you, you remember specific songs because of what they meant to you at a certain time in your life, right? You might remember a song that marks a specific event in your life or um, something along those lines. And I think that's part of what's going on here in Judges 5. Deborah and Brock and the nation of Israel had this significant moment that happened to them. And so they, they memorialized it with a song to help them remember what happened. Put it to music. It's not really fair to judge a song by only hearing part of it or catching some of its lyrics. So what I'd like to do first is read the entire song as we start. So we can begin to grasp what Deborah and Barak wrote and the song and what God needs us to know about himself. So let's read Judges chapter 5. On that day, Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this song, or hear this, you, you kings, lessen your rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. The heart, my heart, is with Israel's princes with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories in his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up, break out into song. Arise, Barak, take captives, Take captive your captive, son of Abinoam. The remnant of the nobles came down 
and the people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced fields. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no plunder of silver. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping, go his mighty steeds. Curse, Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord to help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She, she struck Sisera, she crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Through the window appeared Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answer her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man? Colorful garments as plunder for Sisera, colorful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this is plunder. So may all your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. So, the song of Deborah and Barak. They help us set the stage a little bit in the first couple verses. Look at, uh, look at verse 3. We, we, we learn who this song is addressed to. I, I think this is interesting, right? It says, Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will, I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. So who are these kings that Deborah and Barak were, were calling to, Right? Who, who were the kings that they were singing the song of victory to? Well, think about the timeline of Israel. This is the period of the judges. So there are no kings in Israel yet, right? This, this would have been the kings of the nations surrounding them. This, this would have been the, the king of Canaan, Jabin, whom they just defeated. He, Jabin, listen to this song. Listen to us. Praise the Lord because he has won our victory. This, this phrase calls to mind Psalm 2. Psalm, the author of Psalm 2 
uses some phrases that are similar to these, these first verses of the song. In Psalm 2, verse 1, um, the writer asks, Why do the, the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? That sounds a lot like the period of the judges. And then at the end of the psalm, it's in verse 10, he says, Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. This song, in one sense, is directed to, to some kings, to, to the kings surrounding the nation of Israel. But it's also it's a song directed at the Lord. It's a song of praise to the Lord. Look at verse 4. It says, when you, Lord, went out from Seir. Right? When you, Lord, went out. This is a song to the Lord. The, the very last verse, verse 31. So may all your enemies perish. All your enemies, Lord. So this is a song of praise to the Lord that, that Deborah and Barak sing. The Lord is jealous to show that the honor belongs to him. And, and there's, there's three elements in this song, I, I think. It's, it's not quite linear, right? It's not like, all right, point one is verses one, two, and three, right? It's, it's not quite linear. But there, there's three elements to this song that, that show us that the honor belongs to the Lord. So let's consider the first one. The first one is that God uses a storm. God uses a storm. Now, now Glenn began to hint at this last week. Um, he told me what I was going to be preaching about before I had an opportunity to study it, right? But he was right because the Lord uses a storm to accomplish his victory. Now, now Deborah and Barak refer to a storm. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, when you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. Now these, these verses are not talking about the, the, the storm that defeated the Canaanites because they're, they're looking back. It's Deborah and Barak looking back, right? When you, Lord went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom. So Mount Seir and Edom are locations uh, which are in the southern part of Israel. So you, you're familiar with the Sea of Galilee being at the top of Israel, right? And the Mediterranean Sea, and then the Dead Sea. So, so Edom is at the bottom of all that. Um, let's, let's think about the timeline of Israel's history again, right? Currently, Israel is in the period of the judges. They, they're trying to conquer the land of Israel. So where did they come from? If they're not in the land, where did they, where did they come from? Egypt, right? They came from Egypt and, and their slavery there. Where is Egypt compared to Israel, it's, it's south, right? It's, it's underneath the Mediterranean Sea. So, so Israel came out of Egypt, and at some point, they, they stopped in Edom. They stopped by Mount Seir. They stopped at Mount Sinai, right? So what is, what is this about? There, there was, was there a storm that happened there? Well, yeah, there was. There was a storm. The Lord was with the people of Israel in Edom, Seir, at Mount Sinai. There was a storm with clouds, and the mountain was quaking, so what, what, scene, what scene are Deborah and Barak describing? They're describing the Lord meeting with his people at Mount Sinai and giving them, giving Moses the Ten Commandments, giving Moses the law. Um, I, I don't have it on the screen, but I, I would look back to Exodus chapter 19. It says this, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings 
and a thick cloud on the mountain and, the very, and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like a smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So this is the, the first storm that Deborah and Barak describe in their song. It's, it's the Lord meeting with them at Mount Sinai. I found myself asking, why would Deborah and Barak sing about this in their song of victory over the Canaanites? Why would they look back to this storm? Well, I think the Lord is using this idea of a storm to call his people to remember his covenant with them. God uses the storm to remind his people that they're not just any people. They're, they're not just, um, well, he, they're not just any people and he is not just any God. He is their God and he's made them a people. At Mount Sinai, God used a physical storm to show his people that he was jealous for their honor. He, he brought them out of Egypt. He promised to give them the land, the promised land. He promised to be their God. And even though it seems like they try to forget their relationship with him. He is insistent to not let them do so. So he uses the storm. He, he used a storm at Sinai. And, and they keep forgetting. They're still forgetting, right? This is the, the problem with the, the cycle that they find themselves in. They rebel and they find ruin. And then they, um, they feel remorse. And so God restores them and there's rest. But, but they do it over and over and over again. God wants Israel to remember their covenant. Look at, um, you can flip back just a page to Judges chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel because they, they refused to give up their evil practices in stubborn ways. So the Lord, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive them out, drive out before them the nation, um, nations Joshua left when he died. So the Lord is interested in reminding the people of their covenant. So this, this storm in verses 4 and 5 happens before this event with the Canaanites. But there is a storm that the Lord uses to defeat the Canaanites as well. Look, look ahead in chapter 5. The verses 19 and, and following. It says, Kings came, they fought, the kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no plunder of silver, but from the heavens the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age old river, the river Kishon, March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hoofs, galloping, galloping go his mighty steeds. So there, there's also a storm that the Lord uses to defeat the Canaanites, right? The, the river Kishon. Um, do I have a picture of the river Kishon there? I think I do. So the, the mighty, the roaring, the temp, temptuous river Kishon, Right? Now, the, the river Kishon, if you Googled it, there are some pictures of it being bigger 
maybe like the Susquehanna River, but that's at the, that's at the end before it, it empties into the Mediterranean. But when, when um, the, the battle was fought, right, it says Tanakh and Megiddo, Mount Tabor, we learned in chapter four, that's, that's where the Kishon River starts. So there's a number of springs that feed this river and where, um, where Sisera and Deborah and Barak would have fought, the Kishon River would have looked more like this. So how, how, what did Sisera have? He had 900 iron chariots and the mighty Kishon River swept them away. How, how did that happen, right? How did that happen? Well, the Lord used the storm, right? This, this had to be the Lord. It, it couldn't be Barak, couldn't be Deborah, couldn't be the Israelites because the, the river swept them away. It had to be the Lord and his use of a storm. This storm flies in the face of the enemy of the Lord. Who, who was the enemy of the Lord? It was Canaan, right? But who was Canaan's God? It was Baal, at least their chief God. They, they had a number of gods, but Baal was their chief God. Baal was the Canaan, Canaanite God of fertility and of storms, of, of weather, right? So God uses a, a storm, um, Barak's name also means lightning. So God uses a man whose name talks about a storm, and he uses a physical storm to defeat Baal, who is supposed to be the God of weather. The glory, the honor, belongs to the Lord. The Lord is jealous to show that the honor belongs to him. And so he uses a storm to defeat Sisera and the Canaanites, and Baal. He uses the very thing that Baal was supposed to have power over to defeat him. The victory is clearly the Lord's. It's clearly the Lord's. The people, the Lord, by doing this, is putting his people to the test and forcing them to answer, will we honor the Lord as superior over the idols that we make in our own image? Over and over and over again, the Israelites chosen not to trust the Lord. They've chosen to trust in the gods that, that they make or that the nations around them make rather than trusting in the Lord. He's showing the people that still him. He is still their God. So we move on from here. This first element pointing to the Lord is that he uses a storm. The, the next element he uses... Um, we begin to find in verse 6, Deborah and Barak describe the story of their victory and the circumstances that lead up to it. Verse 6, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to the winding path. So the, the situation in Israel is, is dire. Right? Imagine fearing driving on um, the, easy, the, the, the highway, right? Route 6. Imagine we were invaded and you didn't feel safe driving down Route 6. Right? That's, that's what was happening to the, to the Israelites. They were fearful to, to walk in, in the, the highly traveled paths because they would have been attacked. So they took the winding paths. They took the back roads. They, they stayed undercover. Verse 7, the, the villagers in Israel would not fight. Right? The, the people were not prepared. The, the people 
even though God had commanded them, you are to come in and, and conquer the land. Right? I will give them into your hands, was the promise. They were not ready. They were not willing to fight. So why is this a, why is this a big deal, right? Why is it a big deal that they weren't willing to fight, right? It's a matter of obedience, I think. Turn back to chapter 3 and look at verse 4. Author tells us in verse 4, after he lists a number of nations that were left in the land, he says, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given to their ancestors through Moses, right? So th- this issue of not being willing to fight, this, this issue of not being willing to go, even that we see in Barak, is, is an issue of obedience. It's an issue of obeying the commands that the Lord had given. So in spite of Deborah saying that many are unwilling and unprepared, what, what, what does she say? She says that I rose up, God chose new leaders, Look at verse 10. She says, You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who do walk along the road, right? These are not the people of Israel. This is the people uh, around Israel. This is the nobility. Um, People riding on white donkeys, right? This picture of people who are elevated, who feel safe. Deborah talks to them. You who ride on white donkeys, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victory of his villagers in Israel. Deborah says, you you think you caught us off guard, right? You think that you could could, um, just oppress us. You thought you could get away with it, right? And they did, right? The reality is that they did because Israel was unwilling to fight. But consider the victories of our God. So, so our, our second element, our second element is that God fights when his people won't. God is fighting when his people won't. The people of Israel were unwilling to go. They, they were unwilling to be prepared to go into battle and obey what God had commanded them through their ancestors. But God still fought, right? Deborah said that the, the other leaders of the other nations of Canaan thought they had caught him off guard, but They were called to remember the victory of the Lord. Even though the people were unwilling, the Lord still fought. And then then she goes on to describe the the different parts of the nation of Israel, the different tribes that either went or didn't go. Right, Verse 13, the remnant of the nobles came down. So some people did go. Right, The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim. Benjamin was with the people. Makir, that's the tribe of Manasseh. Zebulun, some people came. Issachar came. What about Reuben, though? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheep pens? To hear the whistling for the flocks. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Right? Reuben, they, they had conversations among themselves. They deliberated. They thought about it. But they didn't go. They did not obey Right? And then Gilead. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. They stayed where it was safe, on the other side of the Jordan River. They didn't, they didn't have to worry about it. They stayed over there. Dan, what did Dan do? Dan, he lingered by the ships, right? 
He pursued the commercial, the, the marketplace success that he could have by, by staying by the ship, the shipping lanes, right? Advancement, financial advancement, above obeying the Lord. And Asher, what did Asher do? Asher stayed by the coast. They stayed safe and cozy away from all the, all the war, right? God's people were unwilling to obey. But the Lord was still fighting. The, the stars from heaven fought. Verse 20 says, from their courses they fought against Sisera. The, the honor is the Lord's. The Lord is jealous to show the honor belongs to him. And even when his people won't fight, he will. So the, the question for us then is, well, will I obey even when there's no guarantee that it'll be easy? Will I put God's purposes above my own? This is a strong way to, to move to the third element. So God uses storm. God fights when his people won't. And the Lord humbles his enemies. The Lord shows us that the honor belongs to him by humbling his enemies. So we started this morning by asking, whose, whose honor is it? Right? Whose honor is this story about? The story we, we, might, we might think is about Jael, right? We, we, we learn about her in chapter 4. We, we see that she's blessed here in chapter 5. We, we might think about Jael being the, the one who this story is about, right? There's a certain mystery about this woman who will get the honor. And even though we get more detail about Jael and how she aided the Lord, she is still not the hero. Jael is, is not the one who the story about. Instead, I think we find that the Lord is the hero. And through what Jael does to Sisera, the Lord, we see that the Lord is jealous to show that the honor belongs to him by humbling his enemies. Look at verses 24 uh, and 24 to 27, right? It says, Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for noble, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. So here, the cunning and clever Jael lures Sisera into her tent where she humiliates him. It, it makes me think about the, um, the, the woman of folly from, from Proverbs, right? She, she lures him into his tent into her tent, right? And, and this, this theme of royalty continues through these verses, right? Jael treats him like a king. He, he comes to her in distress and he asks for, for water. And she says, no, why would you have water? I'll give you milk. I'll give you curdled milk. Doesn't that sound refreshing? <laughs> I'll take some cottage cheese, please, to quench my, quench my thirst. This is what J.L. does, right? She gives him 
She gives him milk in a bowl fit for royalty, right? She, she flatters him. She, she props him up. She spoils him. And, and from, from chapter 4, we know that she uses a blanket or a rug or something to cover Sisera. So, so um, I, I almost picture, and I, yeah, I almost picture J.L. tucking Sisera in for a nap, right? Here's some warm milk. Let me cover you with a blanket and we'll, we'll make sure you're all tucked in, right? While he's sleeping, J.L. grabs a tent peg with her left hand. This isn't just a little tent peg, right? This is a, this is a, a substantial tent peg. And with her right hand, she grabs a hammer and she, she walks up to Sisera while he sleeps and she stands over him and drives the tent peg through his head. At this time, he's, he's not royalty. He's not no, noble, right? He's not a king. He's not a commander. Instead, he fell. He lay. He sank. He fell. He sank. He fell dead. Now, the song flashes next to a different scene, right? It's not... J.L. in her tent. It's Sisera's mother. Look at verse 28. Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answer her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man? Colorful garments as plunder for Sisera? Colorful garments, embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this as plunder. Right, so this scene is Cicero's mother back at home, waiting for her son to return from war. She's sitting by the window, right? Like you might imagine her looking out, like looking out the lattice. What? Where's my son? Where? Why is he so long in coming? Right? She's she's wondering what's going on, and one of her, um, one of the ladies. Her personal court, her young ladies, offers her some counsel. And she, she thinks it's good counsel, too. She's, she says, he's probably getting the plunder, right? He's, he's won the battle. He's, he's gathering everything up, right? He's gathering a, a couple of young women for each of his men. He's getting the cloths fit for, for nobility, right? Embroidered, colorful cloths fit for someone who's noble, Sisera is delayed because he's getting his plunder. But it's ironic, right? Because we, we know it's not true. We know that Sisera is laying dead in Jael's tent. Rather than being at home in the comfort of his mother's home, he's humiliated and helpless in a foreign land. The, 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 Lord, the Lord humbles his enemies, right? The Lord humbled Sisera. Um, he's not home. He's, he's not with his mother, right? The Lord humbled Sisera. In a similar fashion that Sisera came from his mother's womb, he was killed between the legs of Jo. Rather than being tucked into bed by his mother with a warm glass of milk, he's tucked into his grave by Jo, the woman the Lord uses to humble him. 
Sisera and his mother assumed a position of royalty for themselves. They exalted themselves and became enemies of God, right? Her mother, his mother doesn't just say that Sisera did this. She, she says, he's getting plunder for me, right? He's bringing things back for me. And so the Lord humbles his enemies. God is jealous to show that the honor belongs to him. Now, there's one detail that I, I didn't point out from the beginning of our passage as we worked through it. Look back at verse 7. The villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose. A mother in Israel. A mother in Israel. Now, while being careful to not say more than is here in the text, I think it's interesting that Deborah is called a mother to Israel in the same song that Sisera's mother is mentioned. It's interesting that God would paint this picture of Sisera being humbled and also share the perspective of his mother. Uh, Why is this interesting, Mitch? Well, I'm glad you asked, right? Has Israel not been like Sisera in so many ways so far? Even in the story of Judges. They think they have the right to decide who they serve and who they worship. Even some of the tribes mentioned in this story, they're pursuing their own gain by not obeying the Lord. And so I think this song gives us a picture that that God's people can't be like this. God's people can't be about their own honor, but they, they must be about the honor of the Lord. They keep pushing God out of sight and out of mind and turning to other saviors. They, they, they turn to things that they think will deliver them, just like Sisera did. They can't seem to obey God. So, before we point the, the finger for too long, right, is, is this not what we do as well, right? Is this... Is this not what we so often do in our own lives as well? We, we pursue our own gain. We pursue our own honor at the expense of obeying the Lord. Certainly, before we place our faith in the Lord, we, we don't honor him, right? We, we can't. We're dead. We're lost. We're without spiritual life. So, of course, we, we live like this. We, we need the Lord to save us. We don't know any, any other way because we're completely lost. We need the Savior to redeem us, to make us whole so that we can worship the Lord instead of worshiping everything else in the world. But even after we're saved, we, we have a knack for letting God get out of sight, and out of mind, turning to other gods. We forget that the honor is his. We forget that he saved us and we forget that he is sovereign. So, so what does a life that honors the Lord look like? What, what is our, our life supposed to look like? Look at the very end of the song, verse 31. Deborah and Barak declare this. So may all your enemies perish, Lord. May all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. This verse paints a picture of what your life could be like, right? Don't you, don't you want to know what, what your life will be like, right? What's, what's your life going to be characterized when you get to the end? Well, th- this, 
this verse gives us some options. On one hand, you could be an enemy of God. That sounds like a good idea, right? You could be an enemy of God. Maybe you don't die like Sisera did, but I guarantee if you're an enemy of God, your life will be characterized by chaos. Your life will be unstable. Your identity will will be on shaky ground. You'll be anxious, you'll be fearful, you'll always run into trouble because you're not honoring the Lord. He, He promises that you will perish if you don't exalt him. The end of exalting yourself is destruction. On the other hand, you could be one, you could be like one who loves him. Instead of going down to the grave, you could be raised up like the son. The person who loves God and pursues his honor is not like the person who has an unstable, shaken identity. Rather than unstable, he he is planted firmly with roots that run deep into the ground. His or her identity, your identity, is not shaken by the storms of life. It's not thrown off course by the, the idols that we're tempted to run after. We have confidence. We have a life that points to the Lord. So how, how, do, you, how do you get this sort of life, right? I, I want that. I'll sign up for that, right? How do, how do we get it? How do we get it? Can I, ask, can I answer that question by answering a different one, right? Last week, Glenn posed, how can, how can Brock, who was initially a coward, how can he be listed in the, the hall of faith in Hebrews 11? How, how can he, who didn't go initially, how can he be recognized as an example for us to look at as someone that we should follow? I'd, I'd like to take a shot at answering that question. I think Brock could be listed as someone who showed faith because he followed the Lord even after he knew that the honor would not be his, right? Is that not what happened? He, he is commanded by Deborah to, to obey the Lord and go conquer the Canaanites. And he hesitates, so Deborah says, the honor will not be yours. But what does he do? He, he still goes. He still obeys after he knows the honor is not his. Now, I think that is a sign that, that Barak, in some level, recognized that the honor belonged to the Lord. He wasn't doing it for himself because he knew he wouldn't get the honor. What warrior doesn't want to be praised for their achievements? All of them do, right? Except for the warrior who is jealous to show that the honor belongs to the Lord. This is who I think Barak ended up being. The the warrior who has placed their honor under the honor of the Lord, the one who truly deserves it, is the one that has faith. That's the one who does not perish. That's the one who rises like the sun. And I think this is the reason that Barak is listed in Hebrews 11. So what about you? What is your life about? Are you jealous to show that the honor belongs to the Lord? For everything in your life, are you placing your honor above his in some way? By faith, Barak looked ahead to a promise that one day there would be a great deliverer 
who would come once for all to reverse the curse of sin on humanity. He looked, at, he looked ahead in faith to that one and chose to honor him. So how much more do you and I, who can look back on this one who gave everything for us, look back on the finished work of Jesus on the cross and, and, and take the opportunity to show that the honor belongs to him alone? Like Deborah and Brock sing, right, let's consider the victories of the Lord as we remember him. The Lord is jealous to show that the honor belongs to him. So will you perish? Will your life be destruction? Or will it be one that, that points to him and rises like the sun? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this chapter of Judges that, that helps us so uniquely remember that the honor is yours. I pray that you would help us grab a hold of this truth in our lives, and, and I pray that you would help us live our lives in such a way that we show that all glory belongs to Christ our King. No matter what comes our way, no matter what storms or hardships or temptations life brings in front of us, we, we can be steadfast and secure because we are attached to you, our anchor. And I pray that you would, you would help us look ahead to the hope that we have and, and live our lives in such a way, use our words in such a way that we honor you. We, we show that yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen.